Welcome to The Problem, a Lockwood & Co. podcast. I'm Caitlin. I'm Alan. And this week we are discussing part two of part two. I think this is part two of part three. You're absolutely right. I named my file wrong. <laughs> <laughs> part two of part three, chapters 12 through 14. Right. Part three is the missing mirror. Yes, that makes sense because we're looking for the mirror in these chapters. Yeah. I am on today. <laughs> Have I sent you a picture of my cat? She's in a onesie. What? Oh, she just. You, she, you know they come clothed, right? They're like. <laughs> it's built in. It's called a recovery suit. We oh. opted for that instead of a cone. She just got fixed. Uh, so she oh, looks okay, okay. ridiculous. And she hates it. That's it's fun. great. We, we catch her yeah. trying to lick herself through it a lot. So she's just licking her clothes. Aww. It's wonderful. And she's ridiculous and adorable. <laughs> For a while, we tried to put Mojo in a coat to like, he seems anxious a lot of times. And it was like a weighted coat that's supposed to like help with that. And it uh, it just made him look sad. He just looked at us every time he had it and just stared at us like, can you take this off me, please? This is ridiculous. I have a friend who has a dog who is scared of every single person other than her owners, uh, except when she's wearing clothes. Huh. And she was the flower girl at their wedding. And they were like, it's going to be great because we're going to put her in a dress. So she's not going to mind being in front of all those people. Oh, my God. That's the kind of thing that makes me believe in reincarnation. That like, <laughs> like they come out with personalities <laughs> like that and like... This is some Victorian, this is like Queen Elizabeth or something. Like, <laughs> I need to be dressed up. I What's mean, going on? The dog is older than that. The dog is not like less than a year and a half or whatever. That's fine. I've never had a problem with like you be reincarnated from 200 years ago to right now. It's just a time skip. It's oh, fine. Queen Elizabeth the first. Yeah. Oh, no, not. Yeah, not that queen. Yeah. The other one, the real one. The other one was fake. All right. That's now we're. we've. <laughs> <laughs> that went not where i was expecting it to go all right now that we've firmly got ourselves into england uh let's start with chapter 12 in which lucy and lockwood defend flow bones from a cold maiden i would not have worded it that way but okay and flow tells them about jack carver and julius winkman again i don't know that i would have worded it that way flow mentions those names yeah I don't know that they come out of this with more knowledge than they came in with it. I mean, they know how to contact Carver, and they know of Julius Winkman, but it does sort of feel like Flo gave them just enough information to get themselves into some deep shit. I think it's all really good. Flo is like a great character. I can't wait to talk about her. Uh, so the chapter 12 art is the ghost that they are helping Flo get the bones or the source of. But I can't see the little kid. I don't know if there's supposed to be the second ghost in that picture. I like how that maybe that's on purpose because like Lucy has such a hard time seeing it when she's looking straight at it too. Maybe that's why all the chapter art is kind of blurry like this. Oh, Lucy's just got bad eyesight. She needs glasses. <laughs> but she refuses like, to get sight them. Sight is not my talent. It's like, no, yeah, just take exactly. So we start basically with Flo saying, I'm going to get the source. You guys defend me from the ghosts. Um, Lockwood can see it, but Lucy kind of can't. And I really only bring that up because I like how she describes it when she tries to see it. She's She says it was like a smudge on a lens. Mm, I like yeah. that a lot. And she can only see it out of the corner of her eye. Yeah. This, the same kind of way in the first book where they had that ghost that was being hung from the tree. Uh, she couldn't see it when she looked at it. I love that detail from stroud like that's how you always scare yourself about ghosts in real life is like what did i see yep anyway so they talk about how it's weird that the ghost is uh here in the like basically in the thames because ghosts do not like fresh running water yeah and i just took note of that because i'm like do they how do they feel about seawater then oh like, it doesn't have to be fresh water like is that what if it's like murky, polluted water? Yeah, so I, I think notoriously in like ghost lore or like, you know, fairy tale lore, mm -hmm. uh, stagnant water is dangerous, you know, because bogs have 
actual like fires coming out of them sometimes and they look like ghosts from right. a distance. So you'd be like, ah, it's haunted over there. Lockwood can see this thing okay though. He's like, it's right over there. And she's like, yeah, I can't. Oh, I can see it when I look away. Yeah. So at first it's not moving around and stuff and they're like, maybe it's a shade. But like you said, Lockwood is tuned into the fact that this thing is like over the river. And so it's probably pretty strong to begin with. Yeah, well, I I brought up the freshwater thing earlier because they say that it's only there because the water's drawn back, the tide's out. So Mm -hmm. I'm like, it's probably not 100%. Like, seawater probably does get mixed in. Oh, true, yeah. Right, that's why I'm like, I need specifics, Stroud. (laughs) Please tell me. Yeah, I don't know. How briny is the Thames? I have no idea. Um, I'm not I'm not even sure if I have a perfect understanding of how tidal rivers work, but I assume if the ocean is right there, you know, I can't even picture in my head how far in from the coast London is. Yeah, I, I don't think have it's any idea. Pretty far. But then why would it why would the river be so affected? I think literally my only like real geographic experience with London would come from the Assassin's Creed series. And that's like <laughs> sad, but that is true. And it doesn't even deal with the tidal aspect of of that so i have no idea i've i've like been to the coast in england in a couple Mm -hmm. different spots but like my idea of the coast here is that it's always to the west right but in an island you could go in any direction and get to some sort of coast Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. i don't know it's confusing to me (laughs) i'm sure all of our english listeners are yelling at us or just want us to shut up about this yeah it's like super obvious Yeah, Yeah, I know. I know. We do get like little hints of world building here where he reminds us about like there's fresh water in the shops. Oh, yeah, that's cool. And things like that. Just like to remind you, like, here's how the relationship between water and visitors works. And again, I think it's to kind of underline that like this thing is strong to even be here right now because it's still like I'm sure the stuff is dried off from the low tide. But like there's probably all kinds of other stuff here that could show up that can't because it's still like a little bit wet. So this thing is like really, really strong. Yeah. I do also like that Flo immediately underestimates Lucy because Lucy can't see the ghost very well. Mm-hmm. And like she starts not making fun, but basically she said, well, get, you know, like I think she literally said, have a cigar and get a real agency. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> she doesn't have much time. So, is the implication there that Flo has a talent of sight? I would say yes. She's got to be talented to do this work, right? Yeah. So, all the relic people probably have to be. Maybe not like Winkman. Well, Winkman's an adult. Yeah, he seems like an inter- intermediary. He's not going out and getting this stuff. Yeah, he's, he's yeah, exactly. The fence, as it were. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. It's just interesting to me that even like an ally that we're getting introduced to here also underestimates Lucy at first and thinks that she's not very talented. But it's just that her hearing never really comes up here. It's a good way to manipulate your feelings. When they underestimate Lucy, you're like, oh, you don't know. I know, but you don't know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, It does sort of make you feel on Lucy's side during this whole thing. Yep. I I really love all this stuff from Flo because she's like manipulating them and like using them to this thing would be pretty dangerous for her to go after. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like Lucy says, she tricked us. This is some kind of trap. And Flo's like a trap. This is just your side of the bargain. This is like, we're just digging stuff up. You're an agent. Don't be afraid. Yeah. But she knows what she's really doing. I think she knows that this is like something that she couldn't have gone after on her own. Oh, yeah, Flo has definitely tried to dig this up before and had to run. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and then Lucy has a moment where she does kind of tap into the ghost's emotions. Like she tries to shake herself out of it, but you can tell that she does sort of start thinking of the ghost as a person. And I just like that Stroud threw that in there. It doesn't come to anything. Like Lucy doesn't talk about it or anything, but it is kind of part of Lucy's overarching thing. Mm hmm. The getting into the ghost's emotions and stuff really gets to her. Yeah, she can feel that malaise really, really strong. Yeah. This isn't somebody who died from a ghost killing them or something like that. This is like a suicide or something. With her kid. With her kid, yeah. 
shitty way to do it. Although, from what I've heard, abandoning a kid in Victorian-ish England, especially London, probably wouldn't have been very nice either. But I do like how this keeps building and building because like, so right up front, we get the whole thing from Lockwood where he's like, I can see this thing. It seems like a specter, but it's got to be really strong to be here. So like, we're suspicious of it. And then Lucy has these feelings of like the malaise comes over her. But then we start talking about like, there's a pressure in the air and then the river breeze goes away and Mm -hmm. It's just like really good tension keeps layering on the way that Stroud does over and over and over again. And even Flo yelling like, getting warm, getting warm. And they're like, yeah. ah, could you hurry it up a little bit? Like, even that's a little, like, it's funny, but it adds yeah, to no, the Yeah, no, I think it does. Yeah, it piles onto the tension. And then eventually <laughs> Lucy's like, if you say getting warm again, I'll bury you in the hole myself. <laughs> Which is just amazing. I love Lucy. Yeah, I like her smart ass response where she's like warmish, warm, warmer. Yeah, almost hot, you might say. Yeah, yeah, it's great. But then she also says, "I've got a few pieces up here, but it might be one of them," which really just is great because it means that she's been digging stuff up this whole time and not just sticking it in her bag to see if it is. Yeah, yeah, I like that. That feels like she's intentionally messing with her. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Because why wouldn't, <laughs> as you found one, stick it in? No, okay. As you, like, just do them one at a time and figure out which one it is. I it love also, that. Yeah, it's good. It makes her also feel kind of offbeat and uh, like a little, maybe a little bit mentally ill or like she's not used to being around people because she's just like, take. it's like she's shopping or something. It's like she's taking yeah. her time, uh, which is which is good detail too. I think that's just part of her wacky personality. Yeah. And it, it was just before that conversation that um, Lucy was like, oh, it's a cold maiden, not a shade. Do you think that like all cold maidens have a baby with them all the time? I don't think so. That's how I've always thought of them be- because of this interaction. But I don't think that that's right. I can look it up in the book. A gray, misty female form, often wearing old-fashioned dress, seen indistinctly at a distance. Cold maidens radiate powerful feelings of melancholy and malaise. As a rule, they rarely draw close to the living, but exceptions have been known. See also Floating Bride, which is a variety of cold maiden. Interesting. I think that's really interesting that gender is a part of this particular ghost, and I and I wonder, you know, like ghosts always come from some kind of strong emotion or trauma. And I was like, is that the trauma of wood womanhood in the past? Because they're like always these older style dressed ghosts. So like, you know, womanhood was has always been difficult, but you imagine it's harder the further back in time you go. So mm. like... It's just the trauma of being a woman in the past makes it more likely that these ghosts are around than older male ghosts. So you get like a whole category of ghosts. Or is this like a smear of like, oh, it's a cold maiden because like all women trauma ghosts are just lumped into a category together because it's too hard to disambiguate. Um, I was more thinking that you were straying into, well, women are more emotion- emotional, so they would be ghosts more. Mm. I, Not yeah, that I, I didn't agree with that, that obviously. You know what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It might just be that there are male ghosts like this that just sort of float around and pretty much leave people alone. But honestly, what I think it is is that's kind of like a stereotypical ghost thing, isn't it? Seeing the shape of a woman in a dress specifically Mm -hmm. floating Mm -hmm. in the distance out on like the moors or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, like that type of thing or alongside a cliff or whatever. And I think Mm -hmm. that's what he's trying to say, that it's that that stereotype or or that like, not stereotype, because I don't think we can stereotype ghosts. Uh (laughs) Yeah, it's like an archetype though. I think that's Architect. That makes more sense. Yes. Thank you. So I think that's what he's going for with Cold Maiden. It's like that first ghost that we've talked about a couple of times in Ghostbusters when they're in the library 
where yes, it's exactly. like the librarian ghost who tells them to shush. There is something I find personally more creepy about a human being floating along and dragging a like crumpled or ripped up dress behind them. Yeah. You know, or maybe that's just because it is an archetype and we've seen it a lot. If I were like putting myself in the world, I would say probably that there are men who are the same type of ghost. They just they just get lumped in somewhere because they are less visually the same. Like, does that make sense? Because from a silhouette perspective, if you're not seeing the ghost clearly, uh, men's fashion kind of looks the same throughout the years, right? I think that's right. Yeah, I think that's definitely right. Yeah, it'd be harder to tell an Edwardian male ghost on site from a ghost from 100 years ago, I think. I don't know if there's any like clothes fashion historians out there. I am in no way saying that men's clothes haven't changed. I'm just saying if it's blurry and out of focus, that the silhouette hasn't changed that much. Yeah, exactly. I think that's exactly right. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. It has more with women. It's interesting. So this, yeah, but this thing is dangerous and it does like attack them. I don't know. Attack might not be right, but it's like, Lucy has to defend herself and stuff. Uh, and it does kind of go for a flow a bit because Lockwood jumps in the way. Exactly. Which yeah. is good just because it is Flo who's after the sources. So yeah, it seems more sense. aware than a, any type one would be. Yeah, absolutely. So then eventually they do convince Flo to just stuff everything into her. Uh, what we find out is lavender bag. So that the ghost disappears. One of them is the source. We don't know what. Um, <laughs> and then Lockwood asks about the bag. And Flo says, Lavender, yes, stuffed it, stuffed with it, stronger than silver. And I wrote down, I think she probably means cheaper. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, I didn't think of that. So I took this completely on face value because then my questions were like, okay, so this is a correct lore thing. This is a true thing about the world. And then like, why is that true? Is it because lavender was alive and now it's not alive? And that gives it a stronger connection to the problem. Oh. Uh, I definitely took it as she can grow her own lavender. She cannot get her own silver. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's true. Especially since she says, you know, it's only while the fragrance lasts. How do you time that? Like how is there? Yeah, an that's exact real dangerous. Is there a hard line? Like, what if you're walking around with that at night and, oh no, half your lavender goes or whatever? Mm -hmm. Does it get used up by the sources? Yeah. So yeah. that to me sounds more like something that outside, something that people can afford and do themselves outside of the agencies. It's the poor person's ghost repellent. Yeah. The poor yeah. person's silver. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, mechanically, I talk about this kind of thing all the time, that, like, mechanically, the purpose that Flo serves in this chapter is to, like, just deliver some information. But I think another way to think about all of this kind of thing is that really the mechanics exist in order to do interesting singular stuff. Is mm -hmm. That's, like, the real way to think about it, I think. You could just have a really boring vanilla character who tells Lucy and Lockwood what they need to know for the plot to continue. But instead, we get this incredibly interesting, vibrant character of Flo Bones, who, of course, is going to come back in other books. But if you just took her on her face for this set of chapters, is like so memorable and interesting and fascinating. Like she doesn't have to be this good to do the mechanical job is is kind of what I'm saying. But I think that Stroud understands that those mechanics exist so that you can have fun as a writer and as a reader mm -hmm. with this kind of like, oh my God, it's flow bones. Yeah, she's, sense. she's so such, like she feels so real. Like she might be there to serve the plot, but she definitely does not feel like she's there to serve the characters. You know, she feels like she has her own... Her own story she's, going on. Yeah, she's a person. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. exactly. I like that about her too. I'm So after they deal with the ghost, they go to a diner or whatever um, for Flo to 
fulfill her side of the bargain. And the first one they go to is just covered in deep wreck. Kips is there. Everyone's being, I don't know if arrested is the word, but taken away. And I've always gotten the feeling that it was this more than anything that Flo, that made Flo decide to help them. Mm. Because she sees what the, uh, like what's going to happen if somebody else doesn't find what the mirror and stuff like t is just going to shut them all down. Yeah. So get, get rid of, uh, whatever this situation that Lockwood's tangled up in so that things can get back to normal. Yeah, exactly. That makes sense. That makes sense. And also just because the way she, she kind of has, she gets quiet there and is like, yeah, we'll just, you know, you know, is there somewhere else we can go? And she says, yeah, not far. And she says it softly. And I think that's the only time the word softly is used about flow bones, you know? Interesting. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah. And to me, it like also contrasts the methods between the big agency and the little agency. Yeah. That like, and this is like classic hard boiled noir stuff where the the cops go big and the detective goes small because of their means. But it, it's always better to go small because like you're making so much noise that everybody's going to go to ground. You're not going to be able to solve the case this way. Yeah, exactly. And then they get to the other diner. And I just noticed that, you know, they put in their food and drink order. And it says specifically that Flo puts in eight teaspoons of sugar into her coffee, like Lucy does in the show. In the show. I thought that too. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> yeah, I like the way that this is described where it's it says like, for this diner specifically, it's a row of plastic tubs displayed the sweets and toffees favored by the youngest clients. Uh, a cork board near the door was pinned with ads, job offers, lost and found, and other scraps of paper. A few stained magazines and comic books were scattered on the Formica tabletops. So, like, it's like a hard-boiled speakeasy almost. But um, for kids. But for kids. Like, it's so, I don't know. I just love how yeah. Stroud does that. The the sweets and the comic books. That yeah. makes it so sad. Yeah, and the way that they're all slumped, like over their drinks and stuff and gray faced, they're not excited to be like around comic books and sweets. They're like their lives are terrible the way that it is in yeah, hard boiled fiction. Because it's, so it's mostly um night night watch kids who Yeah. You know, haven't unionized and probably they all watched a friend die sometime this week. Or at least yeah. a colleague. This you know, and <laughs> this is where the after party for the company funeral is. And <laughs> right, <laughs> like I'm laughing about this stuff, and I love it, and it's delightful. But like, it's so, it's just so well done. I admire it so much. Yeah, you don't even notice how terrible it is. No, it's really, it's awful. Uh, but it's so, so good. Um. So then Lockwood starts kind of interrogating Flo about what she knows about Carver. And she just keeps saying, no, you know, where he hangs out, no, the people he associates <laughs> with, no, et cetera, et cetera. And for me, when he asks, like, that last question of, but do you know where we might find him? There's a page turn right after that. So you can't even see that her answer to that is no. And I thought that that was just a happy coincidence. It was very well done. Yeah, I I didn't know about the page turn because I read it in the ebook, but uh, yeah. this might be my favorite joke. Like I highlighted this specific thing too, because it says her eyes brightened. She took a sip of coffee, frowned, tipped another spoonful of sugar into the black syrup. A frenzy of stirring followed while we watched and waited. At last, the ritual was complete. Finally, she regarded us both lovely. No. <laughs> I love the description of her coffee as black syrup. That's so good. <laughs> You could tell like Lockwood has lost his patience with her too because she orders another cup. Yeah. And uh, and he's like, maybe you could just get a bowl of sugar and drizzle coffee on top of it. But also when she says, can I have another coffee? I'm like, don't you just get free refills? Like the problem has really messed with things if you can't get a free refill on coffee. Or is that just England diners? Do you not get, do you have to pay for each cup of coffee? So I was like a waiter for a long time and I took this as the annoying customer who like bangs on their cup and holds it up like you gave them a cup five minutes ago and they're like refill oh. hello i see 
I, it, it just, in the dialogue, it felt like she was talking to Lockwood and therefore asking him to pay for another one. Yeah. But I, yeah, I see what you mean. Maybe she is just like, can we get some service over here, etc. Yeah, it could be both, though. It could be that this place is like you pay by the cup. On coffee? That's just bean water. <sighs> yeah, yeah. So then we get some stories about Carver and how he works with Winkman, and we get that they can leave him a note on the board uh, if they want to get in contact with him, but that Carver is the type of frolic man who will kill you if you get in his way, and that Winkman and his family are probably worse. Yeah, I really like how Carver is built up here to be so dangerous, and then he like kind of answers to Winkman. Yeah. Like, that's a good way to build these you know Winkman's reputation basically I do also like how she describes Carver when she's like maybe it's the gleam in his eye the cruel thinness of his lips or something in the way he stands plus I saw him beat a man almost to death once <laughs> right yeah um, but in the middle of the conversation Flo also drops that she knows Gravedigger Sykes who was Lockwood's old master they say as though he was teaching him karate which I think is hilarious <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah. But <laughs> the ancient art of being a detective. Yeah. It's all very mysterious. I love that stuff. I don't actually know anything about Sykes beyond like the lore drops that we get about him. I don't know if it's explored more in four and five. So like it's always been tantalizing to me. I don't think so. Good. I like that. He's like this mysterious Obi-Wan yeah. character of like detective. The Obi-Wan of agents. Yeah. Uh, but also that, like, that's just there to upset Lucy for Flo knowing more about Lockwood than she does. Or, like, I don't even think it's necessarily a jealousy thing here. I think it's just, like, anyone, you know, he opened up to anyone and she's like, but why won't he do that with us? Yeah. You know, yeah. like, I, I don't think it's a, she's worried that he likes this girl thing. I think it's that she... Or maybe not even that he opened up to her. She may have just been there. But just that like anybody knows things that he hasn't told them being her and George. I'm just like, uh, yeah, I, I don't get jealousy is what I'm saying personally. No, I think it keys off of an insecurity that she has around like, but why not me? Yes. I guess more of an envy than a jealousy. Yeah. And it's also plays into that thing that I've talked about before that she wants to know she's idealized Lockwood because I think that that is psychologically comfortable for her, but she more and more, she wants to really know him. And mm -hmm. so she does want to know about his past and does want to know these details, even though I think that the distance that she's had from all of his past is what has made him comfortable to her in the first place where she can project whatever she wants onto him. Mm -hmm. I've had the crush, but now I want the relationship, you know? Yeah. So then they talk some more about Winkman, and Flo basically just says, don't do that, but also tells them where to find him. So <laughs> that's great. <laughs> I like <laughs> Flo says this really great thing where she's like, yeah, I keep myself informed. I like to read the papers before I wipe myself with them. Yeah, it's just I don't know. It's just stuff like that where I'm like, what a great character. It's just those little touches. And then at the end of the chapter, there's this moment where Lockwood says, uh, Luce, you always carry money. Mind going up and paying. And <laughs> <laughs> I knew. he would. No, it's great. And it, it adds to Lockwood's stupidity. Um, but the way he says that you always carry money made me think maybe it's not him trying to get out of paying maybe it's him like putting on airs being one of those you know rich enough people that you don't need to carry money around with you things just happen yeah it's magical i yeah. float through the world no this i think this is terrible uh i just trusted you to pick this up like i didn't make a note about it because yeah like, it's really not great uh but it i don't know it's still funny to me no, it, it is the kind of like, this is a posh thing, I feel like. This is like, I don't carry money. Yeah, exactly. That's for the little people, that's what they do. But like when when this happened in book one and he and like Lucy had to pay for their train tickets, I think is what it was. That to me felt manipulative. Like he oh, was that's just like, wild. oh, 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. I just forgot. Mm-hmm. Like, how could you fucking forget? You're going to the train station. But this here feels like this is just a weird he wants to feel important thing, especially mm-hmm. in front of his old associate. You know, he's like, oh, yes, I have people to pay for things. Right. Yeah. I think that's true. I think that's right. It's it's not good, uh, but it is kind of like funny. And yeah, I don't know. It's also kind of childish. Um, oh yeah, absolutely. It's weirdly anti-romantic too to like to be in the presence of two women to me and then be like, I won't pay for anything. <laughs> I don't. I don't necessarily think of it that way because I I don't care about that. But it's like it's not like they're on a date and he feels pressure to, or I don't know, or, or Lucy assumes he should pay for things. It just feels like this was a company meeting and he is the head of the company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I guess that's what I mean. Like it's not gallant at all. To no, be, it's not. Yeah, this is like yeah, exactly. It's like uh I'm too important to pay. Which is funny. I don't know. It's cute. To be like I'm an important person. I don't know. It's like one of the only things in these books that I don't like about Lockwood. Because everything else that seems kind of like a character flaw makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. This is just like Maybe somebody should slap him. <laughs> yeah. Not Georgia. Like, don't slap George. Slap Lockwood. Yeah. All right. Chapter 13. In chapter 13, Lockwood and Lucy pose as tourists shopping in Winkman's boutique, but they are caught and thrown out. I'd like to say that uh, my personal preference is that we just skip this chapter because <clears throat> it makes me feel so uncomfortable. Everything about this. The acting, the dropping of the coins, I hate every single second of it. If I was there, I would, I'd like friendship over. I would never talk to Lockwood again if he made me do this. <laughs> this is too like, cringe I'm out, for you. I quit. <laughs> Goodbye. You want me to draw attention to myself? No. No, thank you. In front of murderers? No. Double no. I felt more annoyed by this the first couple times that I read it than I did this time. I really like enjoyed it. I don't know. Lucy seemed more into it than I felt like she was the first time I read it where she's like, oh, yeah, we're going to do this. Like, I'm playing the part, too. Uh, Although Lockwood does kind of leave her cold later and be like, you be the bait and I'll I'll go detect. I like I like what happened in the show a lot more because all the pain and suffering was Lockwood's. It's so dramatic in the show too like it feels so dire it is not fun at all i think it's a better dramatic choice what goes on in the show but this is a lot of fun we also never get to see lockwood like dress up and be such a goofball uh yeah that's a part of his uh, part of his personality the show just cut yeah well, even in the first book, I feel like we heard about him going up to the, like, you know, to the mansion. I can't remember. Right, yep. Carey, yeah, that he went around the like, village. Yeah. Yeah, but we didn't get to see it happen. And I don't know. Like, this is kind of just fun and weird. We do get to see him dress up in later books, too. Yeah, 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 yeah. So this is like a Sherlock Holmes does this kind of stuff, too, in the books. I feel like this is very inspired by that. Um, so yeah, they dress up like tourists and then, or like we learn about them dressing up as tourists to go visit Winkman's shop, but then we go back in time to see how it all happened, which leads us to seeing the notes that George has left on the thinking cloth, Mm -hmm. which is out on the hunt developments, be here later, G, and then some scribbles about his experiments with the skull and then buy more chips, which I assume actually says buy more crisps. I will say that's the only way that I know what crisps are supposed to be i've never understood that until i was like oh okay okay um interesting same thing for jumper or things i was like do you not consume british media i just didn't know books anything it just took me a long time to understand what that is and i still forget like i think that my initial idea of what a jumper is was like um overalls and so like i've always been very badly confused about that like workers, you know, one piece or something like that. 
Uh, but you that's know, just I'm my honestly, own. this is an interesting conversation that has nothing to do with anything, but apparently we're going to delve in a little bit here. Because I am interested, like, what does jumper mean in a North American way? Because kind of similar to that, I've always thought of it as, you know how mostly young girls have dresses that are like overalls on the top, but then just a skirt? Yeah. That's what I've thought of as a jumper. Me too. I think that's... Not, but if it's pants, then it's overalls. Yeah, no, I agree. I think okay. that I've heard that called a jumper by someone at some point, and so I was like, "Oh, that's what they mean," but that's wrong. Well, like, but in a North American sense, yes, but no, in a in a British sense, that's it's a sweater. I think for a long time I was just too ignorant to know that there's differences in the language, and so I just took things at face value, and until I started to understand, like, oh. I just am misunderstanding things. So like I would just literally picture torches and things like that and be like and not understand like what when they're saying that they ride the lift like to me, I'm thinking of like uh, some kind of like shoes that like lift you up. So, like, I was like, <laughs> what are they doing? Because uh, lifts are shoes to us. So this is very know. interesting because uh, my mom and my aunts, like my whole family, have always been great connoisseurs of media from the UK. And we watched a lot of it when I was growing up. So this is not a problem I've ever had. And like growing up in the 90s, I watched a lot of media where people, you know, asked if they could bum a fag from someone. And you, you just get the idea that they don't mean it the same way a North American person would. Yeah, no, I get it. Yeah. It just took me, I'm just ignorant. I'm just, and I grew up poor. So like, I just didn't know. So I would picture a lot of stuff. When I look back on it, I'm kind of bemused by it. Where it's like, oh yeah, I just didn't understand what the differences were. And so my, what I imagined was like pretty wild compared to what the author intended. Um. Anyways, back to the chapter. I've always thought of the thinking cloth as being a kind of analog Slack or group chat. Yeah, that in makes some sense. Ways. Yeah. And so this is just like part of how their business works. They don't write the notes down on paper. Be they just write on this thing. Do you think that they wash it out at all or do they just buy new ones or? I would think they probably just wipe it down. You know, not wipe anything off, but like wipe the crumbs off. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think they throw it in the wash. Or no, I can't like imagine that. that. So do you think when they change it, do they keep the old one? Oh, yeah, absolutely. They wouldn't get rid of that. I can see where if it ever got full, maybe they would wash it and to get the ink out so that they could just start over instead of buying a new one. That seems very them. And then there's like faded old notes underneath their new notes. <laughs> I like that idea. Yeah. Like a palimpsest of the... Yeah, yeah. exactly. I, could, I actually was specifically thinking of palimpsest, but I couldn't think of the word. So thank yeah. you for saying it. Oh, oh! we also like briefly go over, they left a note for Carver the night before at the diner. And just basically saying, get in touch because of the mirror or of a recent incident, we'll give you a reward. So then, yeah, we go back to them dressed as um, tourists in the store. And Lucy describes walking in and how the woman just like stares at them a bit. And it gives me that feeling of like, when you go into one of those stores that you know are just there for money laundering purposes and like <laughs> they don't care about customers and the one customer they get every couple months is like, why am I here? And they're, and you know, you can tell the person behind the counter is like, why is this person here? And they're like, you know, the shop is built to make people go away or the food is bad in a restaurant. I feel like, yeah. Or it's just not like, uh, in my old neighborhood, there's this really, really ugly frame store that had the ugliest pictures and the ugliest frames in the window. And it was there for <laughs> the entire like two decades that I lived there, you know, like it was terrible. Clearly and you, some you kind just of look front. at it and you think that's gotta be a racket. Like, come on. <laughs> Nobody is going there to get those ugly ass pictures of their kids taken. Like, no, it's not happening. And that is what this place is. It's like clearly yeah. a front. That's why this idea is particularly kind of silly, but it feels very Lockwood to me. It feels very Lockwood, and I even think it's kind of a good plan. 
Like, it does seem like the kind of a shop that locals would know about and to not go in, but tourists would be like, oh, this stuff looks interesting. Let's go take a look. He feel yeah, I think that's right. Um, to be a tourist is a good idea. But it also feels like we can outsmart them because they're just grown-ups and, he, oh, yeah. and it's wrong. But it also has that undercurrent of the death wish to it that the show captures really good mm-hmm. where it's like it is not a good plan and it and I think that's part of the point for Lockwood. You've pointed this out a few times that the books do have hints about this in the earlier books that it's more explicit later but I do think that this is kind of informed by like I'll just put on some Bermuda shorts and fool the dumb grown-ups. They're not as dangerous as ghosts, but like underneath that is like the death wish. Yeah, there is a, definitely a level, especially since they were warned so seriously by Flo, there is kind of a devil may care, like, yeah. you know, that can't touch us attitude going in here. And he includes Lucy in it, which does kind of suck, especially since I, I believe it is her who gets the most scared here. In a funny way, I do love that Lockwood points at some dolls and says, hey, are these haunted? <laughs> they should be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they should be. Or man, they ought to be. Um, yeah. Which is just a great interaction, especially in their world. But also, as a big podcast listener, Haunted Doll Watch has, you know, it's a big thing in some podcast circles from the McElroy's. It's a whole thing. Anyways, haunted dolls are great. I love them. <laughs> Highly recommend going to eBay and searching haunted dolls. I meant to mention too, we we passed it over with the time skip thing, but mm. to get to Winkman's, they took the tube and we had mm-hmm. been talking about like, is there public transportation? Oh, yeah, yeah. And so this is a daytime trip and they do take public transportation. So it's just Wonderful. that public transportation is closed at night, which I mean, it, it kind of is anyway in London, but uh, is it? But much more so. I mean, I've definitely taken the tube at night. Well, I I just think of like late late night. I don't know, like uh, I don't you know, know that it is. Midnight. I know like okay, like our rapid transit here closes at night because we're mm-hmm. a much much smaller city. But I think New York it's twenty four seven, isn't it? Oh, I don't know. Like, I know in Chicago and stuff where I used to live or in Detroit, it would close late at night, early I'm going to quickly Google this because I'm interested if the tube stays open all night. Okay, so some of the tube lines are 24 hours. Oh, just on Fridays and Saturdays. So no, they're not 24-7. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I also just double-checked that I was right about New York. And yes, New York subway is one of the few subways worldwide operating seven days a week, 24 hours. Um. Anyways... Well, at one point, uh, Mrs. Winkman, whatever her name is, suggests they go to a different shop if they're looking to buy something. And Lockwood, in his disguise, <laughs> literally says, thanks, we're not looking to buy. And I'm like, I don't like <laughs> That's the stupidest. Uh, 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 even... No, it's okay. We're undercover. <laughs> it's fine. But even if you weren't undercover, even if you were just in a shop and you were even if you were just there to look around... I would never say that to a shopkeeper. Like, oh, you know, I'm definitely not spending any money here. Don't worry. (laughs) Like, what? (laughs) I can't. This is part of why this whole section is a big no to me. Not that that I think it's poorly written. I just personally, me, I want nothing to do with it. Yeah, his behavior is very cringe. I think intentionally so. I think he's antagonizing her. Again, I think that's the death wish kind of peeking through in a funny way. Oh, yeah, maybe. I love the way that she's introduced. Uh, her name is Adelaide, uh, Adelaide. which is oh, a cool, I weird like that name. name. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but it says that she and her husband owned the place for 20 years since their predecessor had been accidentally crushed beneath a piece of Indian erotic statuary. Uh, <laughs> accidentally. Uh, but then Lockwood signals to Lucy that she needs to make a distraction. And this is where I wrote friendship over. <laughs> I'm like, no. I'm out. I would just be like, I would shake my head and walk away. He's such a goofball. This And it feels like this would have never gone any other way for Lockwood. Like, this was the whole point of coming in here. He was never going to go with plan one or two. I mean, maybe if, like, they walked in and Adelaide pulled a gun on them. He would have just ran away. <laughs> he would not have signaled anything. Uh So, like, I remember the first time I read this, I was so impatient with this part. I was like, what are we doing? Like, she throws the coins on the floor and is going all over the place. And 
but I just, I don't know. I just really enjoyed it this time. Maybe because I understand where it's going and I was less yeah. anxious. Like As far as it goes, like it's a pretty good distraction. She drops all those coins, which is loud, you know, and then she has to get down on the ground to pick them all up. And in doing so, she just gets herself behind a bunch of stuff so that everybody is paying attention to her. It's a good distraction. And it, if these people weren't like smart evil, it would even be plausible. Yeah. And she's also being like intentionally clumsy. She's like rocking things on their base. Yeah, and, like, yeah, yeah. I think that just all made me really anxious because I would never do that in real life. Oh, remember. yeah, absolutely. That, that's like, lends, what are you doing? Stop it. This whole situation lends to my like, I just want to skip this place. It makes me uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Even though they're evil and I shouldn't care about their stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Good break it. Yeah. Yep. Uh, but then all three of the Winkmans basically get her off the ground and away from their stuff and start threatening her and realize that she's an agent by looking at the rapier calluses on her hands. Oh, and this is, oh, I really fucking hate the kid here. Like, he's the one who says to look at her hands, and then when she has the calluses, he's like, didn't I tell you, Dad? Didn't I say? And I want to slap him in his fucking face right there. Yeah. Don't Ugh. you love me, Dad? Uh, yeah, he's such a weird little mini me of his father he admires his father so much it's really creepy i hate him i like the description of winkman but he just comes off as like a tolkien dwarf to me or something like he's really like small and wide you said tolkien not token yeah tolkien because i was like uh what and then i was like oh wait no no yeah like a dwarf from a mountain from long ago middle earth gotcha gotcha carry on He's just like very strongly built and hairy and he feels very lower class in his description too. It's so interesting to me when people like this who auction and fence off these like really sought after expensive things to rich people, like would they not have more money? Where does it all go? Like are are they not rich yet? Are they not good? I'm not saying they would stop. They probably like being, you know, illegal, but wouldn't they have a nicer place i don't know maybe this is like because they said that they live above the shop but maybe they don't actually maybe that's just rumors and they have a nice place somewhere else that nobody knows about and they keep up this facade oh no i agree with you yeah yeah i think they are rich and they live this way yeah it's like a class thing almost it feels like i don't know there would be a lot of money buried somewhere not like in a bank you know what i mean like a bunch of cash it just seems to me like if you're doing this for money wouldn't you want to enjoy that money? Yeah, But yeah, maybe yeah. I'm being too logical for evil people. Yeah, this is like a hard-boiled trope thing too, but I don't know. It just felt like the class is like almost genetically a part of the person, you know? Like they could never, even if he did like build like a big fancy nightclub and they had a mansion, he would still be somehow this like, this guy you know what i mean like right that actually feels very england to me you know like he's not a part of the aristocracy so yeah yeah i don't know this is just this big thick-necked thug and it wouldn't matter how you dress him up he would just be that guy i do like that his um his uh sleeves are rolled up to the elbows even though he's wearing a gray suit and Ah, so he is a slut well, I was like, this feels very working <laughs> class and not slutty. That's what I was my note. Yeah. I just love Winkman. His his whole description. He's very different than show Winkman. But at the same time, he's very like on target. Like they're both that guy, it feels like. Yeah. And he's like when he's holding Lucy's hand, like that's creepy. The way that mm-hmm. they just des- uh, the way that Stroud describes it and everything. It's it's really good. Like I believe that he would do anything. Yeah. But then obviously the wife remembers that there was two of them and then Lockwood should be around somewhere. So eventually he comes out from the back and Winkman puts together that obviously they were trying to get into his stuff in the back. And he says that the safe, I guess, is wired to administer a mild electric punishment to anyone who fails to disarm the circuitry. And I love that that is possibly where the show got their inspiration to strap Lockwood to an electric chair. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, so then they talk about maybe killing them, but basically then just literally throw them out. So, so many times I've talked about 
how you'll get these interactions in the book and they're written quote unquote wrong where Lockwood comes out with a victory. Uh, and this isn't, this isn't like that at all. We're like his first encounter with Kips. It makes him look like a fool and like, right. And how weird that is, but how much I like mm-hmm. it. But I really, really love that they, their acting thing doesn't work that they get literally tossed out and that Winkman is like, if I ever see you again, it's going to be a lot worse, especially if it's at night. Even though it's not the way that Stroud usually does these things, I think it does help to like escalate the threat and kind of turns this comedy thing into like something kind of almost scarier. Like it, oh, yeah, foreshadows it takes a sharp turn. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm trying to say. It's it's pretty good um, because it feels like it's going to be a typical Stroudian scene where they mm-hmm. come out on top and then it's just like, woof, we got trounced. Yeah. Um, when Lucy describes, like, like, like I said, literally being thrown into the street, I just wrote down, ah, youth. Because I would absolutely have to go to the hospital after that. <laughs> <laughs> be like, well, I would be fucked up. Somebody threw me in and I landed on my knees. Nope. Nope, nope, nope. This will probably get cut out too. But just two days ago, we were doing our, we do stretches before we start work because we do manual labor. Right. Uh, And I was just literally doing a stretch, like an arm stretch that everyone else was doing. And my shoulder crunched in this terrible way. And then (laughs) I couldn't lift my arm up for three days. Uh because I'm old. So like even <laughs> doing stretches, I was like, oh, you couldn't. If you threw me, I would die, I think. Yeah, exactly. All right. Chapter 14, in which George tells the others about Bickerstaff's history and his abandoned house. And then Jack Carver interrupts by being murdered at the front door. The chapter right here is a bag of bones, I think. Yeah, I couldn't figure this out. I wasn't. I, I really thought I would get some... Uh, some insight from the chapter, but nothing really jumped out at me. But it looks like an old doctor's bag. You know, like that mm. stereotypical, you mm-hmm. know what I'm talking yeah. about? House yep. called doctor bag. But all the stuff around it looks like bones. Anyways, so they get home and they're bruised and sore. But George is there. Yay. Lockwood and George have a fight. I really like this fight because it's part of it is just kind of funny. But part of it, you could take it as George kind of being just super distracted and stuff by the mirror. Although he also like keeps talking about how it's making him feel, which is interesting. Yeah, he's more aware of it or like he's more open about it in the book. And I think this makes sense because they just have so much experience with ghosts trying to psychically attack them Mm -hmm. that he's like it it attacked me and it's still, I still feel weird about it. Like he's just very open about that. Uh, I think that really works. I wish the show had actually done it a little bit more because it doesn't change anything about it actually affecting him. He's Mm, not like keeping a secret. But him feeling like he can't tell them adds to the sort of separation that the, like, cause the show really dialed that up. That's true. Um, I do also like that uh, Lucy has a moment where she feels uh, like George mentions the experiments that he's been doing with the skull and how eventually when it got hot enough in the oven, it did look like the skull was talking to him. Uh, although obviously <laughs> yeah. he couldn't hear it. And yeah. she's just like, he speaks to me all the time. You don't need to do this. Like she doesn't say it out loud. She's like, uh, why does he keep experimenting with it? And I like, I like that she's so starting to feel like the skull is mine, not George's. Like what is happening here? <laughs> Yeah, I think she thinks uh, it speaks to me at room temperature. Like, that has nothing to do with it. Um, And there is also a bit where George complains about how small their oven is. And then he's like, well, what if we'd gotten a whole Christmas roast stuck in there? (laughs) He's just like, yeah, how strange would that be? Yeah, just imagine (laughs) if we used it for cooking. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) crazy thought. Especially since it's the middle of summer. Right, yeah. When I'm thinking of like George as the employee and Lockwood as the boss, mm-hmm. it's very funny to me with Lockwood to be 
Like, can you just keep your mind on the problem for five seconds? And he's like, I can't concentrate on anything but your shorts. Uh, <laughs> that is so solid. Yeah. I, I love that because as much like we got a description of the shorts, but everything just leads to them being super ridiculous. Even Lockwood later is like, I got to go take these shorts off. Yeah. No one can respect me right now. But before that, Lucy does just leave the two boys to fight, basically. And she goes to change out of her outfit because she wants to feel like herself again, which that's nice. That was very dismissive of me. I, I genuinely think that that makes sense. Um, yeah, it's a really good moment. Yeah. Uh, but then when she's walking back downstairs, she pauses at the door, the secret door, and thinks about she could just take a look in. And literally, Lockwood is right downstairs. And I'm like, you have been home alone plenty of times. <laughs> like, this is not the time. Like, as, as if, if I had been in Lucy's position, the minute I knew I was going to be home alone for like an hour, I would just open that door and peek in. I probably mm -hmm. wouldn't go in, but I'd be like, oh, it's a bedroom. Okay, great. Now I know. Done. And I would never bring it up ever again. Now is not the time, Lucy. Why would you do this when people are home? It's kind of like the death wish thing, right? Like she could get caught. And I think that's part of the point too. Is like That's the stupidest. Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I like that the temptation is happening when there's like all of this tension in the house. Because it doesn't feel like it's a genuine, I have an intellectual curiosity about this fact. It's about the relationship and, mm. and the badness that's manifesting there for her that she feels like she's uh, not as close to Lockwood as she wants to be. And so even causing a problem, it's like when a, you know, I have two daughters and it's like sometimes kids will misbehave just so that you will pay attention to them. They'll do something that they know is wrong, not because they want to do it, but unconsciously because they want your attention. That's how it I felt was to me. When you started saying this, I was like, there's no way he's going to bring me over to his side here. And I'm like, fine, I guess you have some fucking points. <laughs> <clears throat> I agree. It's like, I, it would be a really stupid thing to open that door right then because you'd get caught. But, uh, and I think it's just unconsciously, that's kind of what she wants. But then she doesn't even do it, which is, is she, also she doesn't really do it. But like, even if Lockwood had seen her just hesitating at the door, because they're still kind of, yeah, they haven't resolved that argument, right? So even if he saw her just hesitating there, it would cause problems. So I'm like, just hold your horses, lady. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> and he, he made a big deal of it, too, where he was like, don't even bring that up to me. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, so she goes back to the kitchen and they've made some sandwiches and gotten over their little fight. Their little tiff. The emotional boys. <laughs> Ham and mustard sandwiches. I was like, that sounds good. Um, so they recap what they've been up to. And George is all, where have you been hiding this flow bones? She sounds like a useful contact. <laughs> and I wrote a note here. Oh, I love that Lucy then says, you know, or, or George says what she like. And Lucy says, soft-spoken, mild-mannered, and gentle, classy. You know the type. I think you'd get along with her. And Lockwood just says, nothing. Like, they just move on. Lockwood just lets that happen. It's, it's great. the driest joke. It's so <laughs> subtle. Yeah. And George has no reason not to believe her other than right. their <laughs> relationship. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. It's great. It's good. And then George starts telling us about... Bickerstaff, and he reiterates that the papers say he was eaten by rats, even though they all saw clearly it looked like he was shot. Mm -hmm. And they're like, was he eaten by rats afterwards? And then it's like, well, we think the whole rat thing is probably not what happened at all. And you find out, too, that he like had all of these cohorts. He wasn't just doing this alone. And I mm -hmm. think this was part of the point of bringing up earlier in the book the ghost cults because this is kind of like the proto version of a ghost cult but is simultaneously a proto version of researchers in the problem if that makes sense too yeah you don't really have to do that for victorian england though they were super into the occult yeah they were really like, doing that yeah, yeah so i don't like, I don't think bigger stuff would have been that out there. Like, the fact that he was bringing home bodies and stuff like that, that's obviously a problem. But just being a 
relatively well-off dude, super into the occult. That sounds perfectly normal for Victorian England. Oh, yeah, yeah. I just mean that it continues to manifest in this time in like this other way that's like it's turned into we're like I think that ghost cults in Victorian times were a kind of denialism of like I can't believe these lower class people are getting the better of us because it was like always <laughs> rich people who were like I can actually see into the beyond like it was a den- denialism of scientific culture um now it's like the ghost culture a denialism of like shit's dangerous because ghosts are out there um kind of like covid denialism and stuff like that so i don't know it's just interesting to me that like he basically had his own little ghost cult and was doing research into the problem and and how that has evolved since the time of his death like it's all i don't know history is kind of connected and evolving in this world uh yeah so then we get that he was stealing bodies keeping that and that they found them later on in his house which is what i think the chapter art was and then we learn Mm. about two people who were uh his friends uh lady mary dulac and the honorable simon wilberforce Mm -hmm. fabulous name um both were rich with you know reputations of being interested in strange ideas um and both of them vanished around the same time that allegedly Bickerstaff was eaten by rats. It kind of gives us sources to triangulate what was happening with Bickerstaff. So we're not just having to rely on like stories about him. You can get like an account from a different person and, and be like, yes, this really was happening. Yes. That makes sense. Yeah. We also do hear about another person who is part of this whole thing that was a servant lad who was having to carry around the dead bodies for him and stuff. Right. Yes. Who we probably know who that poor lad was. We get more information about, uh, Dulac when she, uh, comes back and he's got like a little mad woman captured thing from, the Daily Telegraph. Yeah, so it said that Wilberforce did actually disappear, never seen again. But right. it turns out that Mary Dulac was just living in the woods for 10 years or something and going slowly mad as far as everyone, or perhaps was mad to begin with. That's why she was out there. And it wasn't, I'm using their terms. Obviously, I wouldn't say mad about somebody now. So, sorry. Mm-hmm. It, it says that eventually she started howling Mm. in the woods and that's how people found her because they wanted the howls stopped not to help this <laughs> poor woman but they were like well now she's disturbing us so we got to get her out of there but like i'm sure people knew she was there like there were rumors about her kids were afraid of you know the scary lady in the woods type thing but uh it wasn't until she started howling that people were like mm, maybe we should do something about her right so that's great the 1880s, everyone. Yeah. Well, I don't know that that would be any different now. Yeah. Um, so then we talk more about where Bickerstaff worked at the uh, sanatorium, which burned down and a lot of people died. And then they tried to build a housing estate there, which is... Good stuff. I love that they're just like, what were they thinking? And even even today, like who would do that without ghosts? You know, like (laughs) there was an old Victorian sanatorium where people I'm sure were treated just wonderfully. And then they all died in a fire. And now we're going to build some nice family homes on top of it. I would never. No, thank. Well, how cheap are they? (laughs) Right. Anyways, but since Bickerstaff's house was set far away from the building with the fire, it's still there which means they can go into it. Yeah, so now we have a new lead thanks to George's research. And we know because of secondary sources that, you know, all this bigger staff stuff like has some, uh, some juice to it. Some, something real was really happening with like multiple people. They really did find something back in this time. Because something happened to that lady. So they want to find out more information about 
what went down. Yeah. So just sort of as they're talking about that and stuff, there's a knock on the door. I love this little joke where Lockwood is like, you fixed the iron line, right? Uh, talking to Lucy and she's mm-hmm. like, and, she, you know, you got around to it, right? And she's, she says, almost, I said, almost finished, almost got around to starting. Um, but then, of course, they do eventually open the door because they're like, well, we can't just sit here speculating. And Jack Carver wobbles in with a knife in his back or with a curved dagger. Yeah, it's a great ending. And then the ending credit music starts, you know, the good drums come in. <laughs> right. It's the perfect way to get you to keep going through the book, move on to the next part. But we're not going to do that. We're going to leave you with a dagger in your back, um, bleeding out on the floor. The mirror is still missing, by the way. Yes. But, uh, it doesn't solve the name of part three. We move on to part four next time, Dead Men Talking. Everyone's favorite thing. I like the name. We can discuss that later. Um, Yeah, so best joke. Mine, you know, I was going to think that mine was one of, uh, was Flo's, you know, no, no, no. But on further reflection, I do love Lucy telling George that, you know, Flo is just a nice, calm lady. And then (laughs) just the fact that nobody corrects her, you know, classy. That's, that's, that's really good. That joke is never acknowledged. It's like the driest yeah, joke in the yeah, book. Yeah, it's never acknowledged. It's great. It's pretty good. I like. Yeah, I, I just I think I got to go with Bermuda shorts. George, <laughs> come back. He's like, that's fair. Can you repeat that? It's those shorts. I can't concentrate on anything you're saying. It's just really good to say that to your boss after getting chewed out. Maybe that's my most punk rock. <laughs> mm. Then we can have both. I guess going into the mouth of madness at the at the shop with the plan of like drop change on the floor but it, i don't know if it's punk rock or stupid because to yeah. dress up like tourists is not punk rock yeah the, nothing really stood out this episode that that's why i said that we can just go with something talking back to your boss is always great george is good for the punk rock stuff yeah we've talked about that how if you ask them lockwood would definitely say he's the most punk rock but it is george if anyone out there wants to reach out and tell us how wrong we were about anything that we talked about involving London in specifically or England and the greater UK in general, um, you can do so. Uh, we are on Twitter at Lockwood Podcast, and I personally am on Twitter at Inferior Caitlin. I think we were bang on correct and everything 100%. I have my doubts. You can send us an email to contact at hologroundmedia.com or visit the contact page at hologroundmedia.com slash contact. And remember to always have a little bag of lavender with you, just in case. <laughs>